Good morning, everyone. It's about time to begin this morning. I have several announcements to go over before we begin. We're thankful that everyone's here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. We have several visitors. We're thankful, and if you'd like to meet with us again, we'll be here at 6 p.m. this evening and 7 p.m. on Wednesday, Lord willing. Reminder of senior recognition tonight. We have 10 graduates this year. Emily Bowen, Elizabeth Carrico, Emily Carrico, Libby Judd, Haley Lester, Evan McAllister, Ben Parker, Kyle Sloan, Jackson Stevens, and Molly Williams. I got all those straight. Last week I couldn't get all the uh, college graduates. So that's 10 high school, 6 college age students. So we've got 16 children that have grown up here. Those 10 plus Alex and Hannah Ward have graduated from college this spring. Grace Hutchison, Darby McLeod, Kent Picklesheimer, and one we didn't mention last week, Sam Harris. He graduated in December, but... Is there another one? And then Sawyer graduates from law school. Also, the dietitian for the state of West Virginia, Dr. Kelly Williams. If you see her, tell her congratulations. Is that right, Kelly? Wasn't supposed to announce that? <laughs> but anyway, that's a good thing. So we've got what? 17 people that's pretty smart. They took that after me. I know that, but I never say anything about it. But anyway, that's a good thing. Parents, for parents, Fort Hill will be limiting the number of campers due to COVID. If you have a registration, if you have not registered your camper, you need to do so ASAP. Your child has already registered, so received $60 reimbursement on the camp. Prayer list update. Charlie Bozo surgery will be June the 15th. Dottie is recovering from double knee surgery. Wayne's having the time getting over one, let alone two at the same time. Keep Wayne in your prayers. He's doing better. Had a tougher first part of the week, but things seem to be going better now. Prayers requested for Brad Garnett, recently diagnosed with cancer. Mildred Jones is at home. If you plan to visit, you should probably call first. Also, you saw this week where Elmer Hayes passed away. Uh, two of his, I don't remember all of them, but anyway, that's Myra Hayes and, and Ann Booten's dad. Joe Galloway's brother-in-law. Correct. Also remember Kristen, Rusty, and others that are undergoing treatments. Be sure to check your prayer list. Is there any other announcements? I'd like to read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7, if you'd like to follow along before we begin. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, 
and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we're thankful for this beautiful day of life, for watching over us and giving us another day of life, for the opportunity to be here to worship you. We're thankful for the community in which we live, and we pray that we let our light shine. Father, we had our sick that we ask that you bless and, and, and give them strength and continue to watch over them and pray the medicines that they're using to help each one works and that their bodies can fully heal. We're thankful, Father, for the 10 seniors in high school that as they're about to take a, another step in their, their first step in their life, that they can look to you for guidance and help as they move on with their adult life. Also, Father, we're thankful for those that are finishing up their, their higher education and that they continue to look to you in their daily walk of life also. Bless each and every one of them. Go with us, Father, through this service. We pray that the things we do will be in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. We pray for our sick and our shut-ins and for those that have lost loved ones. We ask that you bless the Hayes family at the passing of Elmer. Forgive us in thy son's name we pray and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First time this morning, number 781, 781, wonderful story of love, wonderful story of love. Wonderful story of love, tell it to me again, wonderful story of love, wait the end Oh, Lord, 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 Lord,
this morning, number 312. 312, I'll be a friend of Jesus. We'll sing the first, second, and last verse, and then Brother Joe Galloway will have our scripture reading and prayer. They tried my Lord and Master with no one to He stood without a friend. I'll be a friend to Jesus. My life for him, I'll stand. I'll be a friend to Jesus until my Go with me to God in prayer, please. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of this day, for the opportunity to gather together here and to worship you. Father, to enjoy the fellowship of our brothers and sisters, and Father, to sing praises to you, the opportunity to talk to you, and the opportunity to listen to your word. Father, as we participate in the worship, 
Guide us, guide our hearts and our minds. Be with us as we partake of the Lord's table. Father, help us to do everything in a manner that's pleasing to you and giving you the glory. We ask, Father, that you would be with us in everything we do, that we might praise you and that people would see you in our lives and help to bring them to the truth that you have presented. Father, we thank you for our graduates. Please strengthen them, help them to stay strong and close to you. Bless them in their efforts as they grow. Father, thank you for Cooper Fulton, his example of taking Jesus on in baptism a week ago was tremendous for all of us. Father, we have many on our hearts that are sick, many that are hurting, and many that have upcoming procedures to be done. Father, we ask that you would bless them, be with the doctors and nurses working with them, help them to recover. Bless those, Father, that are fighting cancer, strengthen their bodies and heal them that they might return to normalcy. Father, we thank you for this wonderful country that we live in. Thank you for what it stood for and what it stands for, what it means to the rest of the world as a guide to you. Help us to be that example. Be with those that are fighting overseas, you're serving overseas. Bless and keep them safe. Bring them home to their families. Father, as we continue through this service, we ask you to bless us as we participate in the service and help us to always do so with open hearts and open minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Amos chapter 7. It's a lengthy reading, so you might want to follow along in case I get lost. Amos chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, reading through verse 9. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land, that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be so, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire, and it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. 
Then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high place of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Next hymn this morning, <clears throat> excuse me. Next hymn this morning, number 645. 645, the old rugged cross. We'll sing the first three verses. On a hill stood an Jesus, God, and 
As we surround the table this morning and remember Jesus and his sacrifice, I want to talk about a moment about the, the people that was around the cross and, and, and try to, to envision what they, what they saw that day. And uh, I want to talk about the centurion in uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 54, after everything was over and Jesus had died. The centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. Again, recorded in Mark 15:39, he spoke the same words, truly, this was the Son of God. And then Luke's copy, 23:47, he said, certainly, this was a righteous man, a righteous man. And I looked up a little bit about the centurion. And, and what they are, they, they, just to cut it short, is a professional, they're like a professional military officer. They're over 100 people, maybe 500 people, whatever. So this just wasn't just a plain man. This was a man that had authority. And, and uh, he was a man that was watching over Jesus with his men. And what I read, it said, not words from a frightened pup or a new recruit. These were words that, that was uh, the words from the reason conclusion of a seasoned veteran who had been watching men die horrible deaths and putting them to death for years. That's who this man was. And then it goes on and it says that, that he was frightful. He, he was Feared, but it says all that was with him. They all said this, this was truly the Son of God, and they were all scared. And what they was afraid of, what they saw, James Ward read this a, a, a few weeks ago when he was presiding at the table. So I won't read it, but it talked about the veil of the temple being torn in two and, and, and uh, earthquakes talked about rocks being split, and I can just picture big rocks. And, and when you go down to Route 52 and see where they've done all that work on that road, and it's just kind of an amazing thing. But when you think about God doing that, and, and, and then the graves were open and people coming out of the graves, I mean, who would not be afraid? You know, it, it would scare me to death to see that. And then when it was all over, he said that Jesus was, was a righteous man. The centurion believed that. He believed that. 
those that watched, those that were there with him, they believed that. And that's why we surround this table every Sunday morning and we take the Lord's Supper and we remember Jesus and we do that because we believe that. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus never wants us to forget that. He don't want us to forget that awful cross, that death, that burial, the pain, and the suffering. That's why we do this. That's why we surround the table to remember him. But the most glorious part of all that is that it didn't end there. It didn't end at his death. Jesus arose from the grave, the resurrection. And we know that Jesus and those of us who believe that, that Jesus is in heaven waiting for us this day, waiting for those who are faithful to him. So as we take this Lord's Supper, Paul reminds us to examine yourself. Let each man, let each woman examine their self as they take the supper. So as we take it this morning, let's remember Jesus. Let's try to picture what they saw and let's just remember that glorious resurrection. Bow with me as we go to God in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity. Father, we're so thankful that, uh, that Jesus was willing to die on the cross. And Father, we're so thankful for the, for the resurrection and for the hope that we have in him. We pray, Father, that you will bless this uh, bread that represents his body. Bless us, Father, as we take it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bow with me as we give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Father, we continue to give you thanks. Father, we're mindful, we're so mindful that, uh, that Jesus laid down his life for us. No one took it from him, Father. And we're so thankful for that, for the love that he has for us. We pray that you will bless this fruit of the vine, Father, that represents his blood that was shed for us. Bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the opportunity that we have to give. We uh, truly bless in everything that we have and do in our families and our material things, and and we're spiritually blessed. And we just we just thank God and praise God for all that we have. And, and we have uh, offering yellow buckets in the back there that uh, on your way out or in or whatever what's convenient for you. We just drop it off there. Uh, I had a guy remind me a little while ago it wasn't a good idea to put a garbage can in between the two uh, 
buckets that he almost throwed his in the in the garbage can instead of the buckets. So look for the yellow buckets. Bow with me as we give thanks. Father, we do thank you for all that we have. And we just we just know that you're a loving God and and Father, you want what's best for us and and Father, we just pray that, that we'll do our part to, to serve you. And Father, we just pray that uh, you will be with us as we make decisions on, on what to, to do, Father, w- with the offerings. And, and we know that we're blessed, and we pray that you'll bless that offering. Be with us. Forgive us when we sin against you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 408, 408, Low in the Grave He Lay. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour.
701, 701. Tomorrow may be too late. This time for the Christian. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. <clears throat> it's nice to be able to announce events again, isn't it? We've got the senior reception tonight. Uh, so be back tonight at 6 o'clock to uh, help us honor our high school graduates. Uh, we've also got VBS coming up, so that's doubly exciting. It's July 25th through the 29th, so notice the new dates, the new week there. July 25th through the 29th, I think it's the last weekend in July. Um, be aware of that, that's going to be a good time as well. Be turning to Mark chapter 12. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. This uh, We are closing in on the, the final days of Jesus' life here on earth. He has entered Jerusalem already. He has butted heads uh, with the Pharisees throughout his life, and now he's going to come up against the chief priests and the rest of the Jewish leadership. And he's going to kind of lump them all together in the parable that he teaches today. This is the first parable that he's taught since the parable of the soils, way back in, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, and so finally today, the Jewish leadership is going to understand something Jesus says. And they're not going to like it. And they're going to hate him because of it. And it's ultimately going to lead to them rejecting him and him rejecting them. And so <clears throat> as we walk through this, this parable this morning, uh, be on the lookout for uh, the major players in, in this parable. Because it's going to be fairly evident, I would imagine. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 1. He says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit uh, for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So notice just for a second right here how much work God has put into building this vineyard. Obviously the vineyard is the kingdom of God, right? It's what Jesus has come back to uh, take from, from the Jewish leadership. They've absconded with it. Right? You remember back in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Jesus comes preaching repentance that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's come to retake ownership of this vineyard of the kingdom because the Jews have absconded with it. They've made their own rules. They've made their own way to salvation. They've said this is right and this is wrong when God said this is wrong and this is right. And so God says, Jesus says, I've come back to take the kingdom out of your hands because you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Um, and there's going to be punishment for them because of that. You remember just, uh, I think it was last week, when Jesus cleared out the temple because of the evil that was inside of their hearts. They were taking advantage of people. There wasn't just trash and mess on the floor. There was also that inside their hearts because of the way that they treated people. They just wanted to take advantage of you. They loved their money more than they loved you. And they were willing to do whatever it took to take your money so that they could have it. And so Jesus is fierce when he, when he enters the temple. The next day he comes in at the very beginning of the morning and he clears out the temple. Uh, and, and at that point, the Jewish leadership is incensed. Remember last week they talked about what authority do you have to come in and, and do this to the temple? Who put you in charge of the temple? Because rightly enough, they're saying God put them in charge. You go back and look at Leviticus that's what's happened. God has installed them as the leadership. They are the ones who are supposed to keep the, temp the temple pure. But they haven't done it. They've fallen down on the job. And so 
Jesus is coming in. He's going to do it for them. He's going to restore righteousness back into this kingdom. Up, up until that point, uh, they had been looking for a way to ruin Jesus, to destroy him in the eyes of the people. That's not worked. The crowd is just growing and growing and growing. Uh, as Jesus talks more, as he does more, more miracles, as he enters Jerusalem, there are literally thousands of people that are shouting, Hosanna. Do you remember this passage from, from Mark chapter 11? Hosanna, save us now, right? They understood that he was the Messiah. They understood that he had this, this power, this capability. The crowd has bought into what Jesus is saying. They don't understand everything they need to know. They're not there yet. They don't understand that he is uh, setting up <coughs> excuse me, that he's setting up a spiritual kingdom. They still think he's coming to set up a physical kingdom. They're going to get there. Eventually on the day of Pentecost, it's all going to click for them. We'll talk about that in a second. But they're not there yet. But they are solidly behind Jesus. They've lined up behind him. To use Mark's words, they've submitted to him. Whereas the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, these guys, the teachers of the law, they have not submitted to him. And in fact, they're throwing authority back in his face. Who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus says, I gave me the authority. This is my house, right? The temple is his house. And you've taken advantage of it. So, very quickly here in Mark chapter 12, verse 1, just notice the great extremes that God has gone to to have this kingdom. Mark would put it like this. Uh, he's planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a pit for the wine press. And he built a tower. He's done literally everything to ensure the productivity of this vineyard, of this kingdom. He's done the exact same thing for the church, right? He has spared no expense to make us productive. And that's the problem in Mark 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. It's the problem in Mark is that the Jews are not being productive. He's done everything in his power to give them a step ahead, a step up. And they're just not being productive. And in fact, that's what's going to condemn them. Because they refuse to submit to him. And they refuse to have real biblical faith. Real biblical faith moves. It does things. It, it sacrifices. It helps. It loves. It shows mercy. But it also knows justice, right? And, and we're talking an awful lot about justice today. God's justice. He's not going to allow them to simply abscond with, the, with his kingdom do what they want to do, not submit to him, and lead the lives that they want to lead. He's not going to allow that. He's not going to allow us to do that either. We have to be so, so careful as we think about our own faith to make sure that not only that we've submitted to him, it's vitally important, right? We've learned that over the last several weeks in Mark. Vitally important to submit to him without question, without reservation, no buts, I'm yours. I put your agenda ahead of my own every single time. I lead my life for you. Like Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I died. And now it's he who lives inside of me. I take up his agenda. I do his things. So we need, we need to not only submit to him, 
we actually have to have biblical faith. Faith that moves, that does things, that is productive. Remember Jesus cursing the fig tree last week. He did that as an object lesson to the Pharisees who looked the part. They looked righteous. They came in on Sunday mornings. They filled a pew. They wore their nicest suit. Put on a tie. They did all the right things. They looked right. But on the inside, what were they? Dead men's bones. They had no actual faith. And because of that hypocrisy, Jesus curses them. And he's going to condemn them. That was last week, but there's no break in the text. It's, it's, uh, it may be the next day at this point, but he's still on that exact same theme today. This idea of judgment and justice. He's, he's bringing it today. But before we get into that, just notice the immense amounts of work and care that he's provided so that the church, the kingdom, can be productive. What has he done? Well, outside of, just overlook the fact that he made us out of dust for a second. That he gave a way for us to come back to him. That he's had that plan since before he created us. That he gave us a family when our own family might have shunned us because we came to him. That he gives us blessings to keep us going. That he promises us heaven if we submit, if we're productive. Notice all the things that he's done to make us productive. Verse 2, Mark chapter 12, verse 2. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. That's not probably what you were expecting this parable to go, is it? That's probably not what you thought would happen here. Put yourself in, in this vineyard owner's shoes for just a second. You've got a vineyard. You can't tend it because you're in a different country right now, so you lease it out to people. And when the time has come, maybe this is four or five years later, by the time the, the fruit has become ripened, fruit trees and all those things apparently don't bear fruit on the first year, and so maybe it's been four or five years. And finally the vineyard owner says, hey, it's time to pay up. You know, you've got to pay the rent, so to speak. And so he sends a servant back over to his vineyard and he says, hey, it's time to give my owner what is due him. And they beat the man and send him away without a single cent. Now, that leaves most of us scratching our heads because this guy has given you something and has entrusted you to do what's right with his thing. This is not yours. You didn't work for this. You didn't pay for this vineyard. This is his vineyard. He's just letting you borrow it in the, in the, in the expectation that you're going to repay him a part of the proceeds from this vineyard. Instead of doing that, you have the audacity to beat the servant that he sends. Incredible, right? Verse, uh, verse 4. And again, he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sends yet another servant. Isn't that amazing? How many times does somebody have to beat you before you're like, nah, I'm done with that? You hit me one time and our relationship's done. <laughs> you know? This vineyard owner sends yet another servant to the vineyard to collect what's his. Now, are you tracking the parable here? 
Parables are really interesting because you can identify the main players. So who's, who's the vineyard owner here? It's God, right? It's the Father. Who are the servants that he keeps on sending over to the, 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 the tenants? It's the, the prophets, right? The Old Testament prophets. Like our, like our, uh, our friend Amos uh, that Joe read for us this morning. Like Obadiah, Elijah, Elisha, Nathan. The Old Testament prophets. What was their job? To bring Israel back in line with God's teaching. To bring them back in line with righteousness. If you remember what Joe read in Amos chapter 7, I think it's verse 9. God says, I've set up a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? Make sure everything's in line, right? Make sure everything's straight. He's saying, my way is, is here. And you're way over here. You made it all crooked. And he says, I've had patience. Remember in the first eight verses, that's what Amos is telling us, is that God had planned judgment. But then Amos pleaded with them, we, we can't take your judgment. Please give us more time, right? Be, 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 be gentle with us. Be gracious to us. And so God says, I will. I'll, I'll be gracious and I'll be long-suffering, right? We're, remind, we're reminded of, of what he says in... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Nope. <laughs> and where's that at? This is what happens when you don't plan what you're going to say right here. This verse just hit me. I thought, oh, that would be perfect. It's not saying to Peter. Um, so he says that he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. You can Google it. Somebody Google that for me. He says God is long-suffering not willing that any should perish. That's exactly what he's saying in Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. That's what God is trying to get across to his people. I don't want to judge you, but I cannot allow you to not line up with me. This is the plumb line. This is what I expect. This is what you will give me, or you will be judged and you will be condemned. And Amos says, we, we can't handle that. We, we can't. Please don't judge us. Please be gracious to us. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll relent. And then again, okay, I'll, I'll relent. And then again, how long can we wait on his patience? Is it going to last forever? No. That's the word from the entire Bible. The scriptures speak clearly on this. He is patient. He is long-suffering, not wanting anyone to perish. But there's going to come a point when... His patience has run out. And today his patience has run out with the Jewish leadership. He's done with them. Listen to what he says here in verse 6. He had still one other, a beloved son. Don't miss the obvious remark there to Jesus. A beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. Right? That, that just makes sense if you've got uh, an heir He's the one who the rest of the kingdom hinges on. The vineyard's not going to be yours if, if he's gone. Surely they will respect him. Out of everything that he's done for them, surely the tenants will respect the vineyard owner's son. Verse 7, But those tenants said to one another, they had the gall to say, This is the heir. Come, 
let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so that's what they did. They took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. Verse 9, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, the funny thing about this parable is, this is the very first thing and the only thing that the Jewish leadership is going to understand that Jesus has said. Listen to verse 12. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. (laughs) They finally get something that he's saying, and it's this parable. Could it have not have been any clearer? They know exactly who they are. They know exactly who he is in this parable. So at a, a, maybe a fundamental level, the thing that they've been rejecting since Jesus started talking about the kingdom of God being at hand, way back in Mark chapter 1, the thing that they've rejected, him being the Messiah, him being divine, God's son, they've rejected that all along, but at this level, they get it. Somehow, they have this convoluted thinking that if they kill the heir, the kingdom will be theirs and they can do whatever they want. That doesn't make any sense, right? Just logically speaking, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what they think. That's the way Jesus tells the parable. And if you track with the parable, that's exactly what the Jewish leadership thought. We want to be in charge. This is our kingdom. We set the rules. We're in charge. We have the authority. We're going to do what we want to do. And Jesus stands up and says, this is not your kingdom. This is my kingdom. You obey my laws. You line up with my plumb line. And if you can't, you're going to be condemned. And they say, we know the solution to this. We'll just kill him. And then we can do what we want. That is... 100% what what they're thinking here. We'll just kill the heir, and then the kingdom will be ours. This parable, I wanted to spend so much time on it. The rest of chapter 12, we'll we'll get to next week, and it's just more uh, of the authority issue that the chief priests and the Jewish leadership are going to attack Jesus, trying to ruin him in the eyes of the people, and he's going to ruin them. Um, But I wanted to spend so much time on this parable because I think it's so important for us to grab a hold of what he's trying to say here in this passage. If you haven't submitted to him, condemnation is the only result. Let that that sink in for a second. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you haven't submitted to him, condemnation is the only result. It's, the, it's what happens next. Many people in, in the Christian world uh, say that you know, submitting to him looks like just saying a, a prayer, maybe. Uh, asking him into my heart. Or it's publicly acknowledging my faith. The problem I have with those things is... The Bible doesn't say that, right? Let me show you what the Bible says. 
what submission looks like to him. How do I be saved? It's Acts chapter 2. We're going to move on from this one uh, too, so you may want to put your finger here or something. Matthew, or, <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, Peter is talking to the crowd of people that were there 50 days earlier when Jesus was crucified. In fact, some of the, the soldiers, maybe the centurion that Gary talked about this morning during the Lord's Supper, uh, thoughts, maybe he was here in this crowd. We're not, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. But we know that this crowd is aware uh, of Jesus and what has happened with his crucifixion and who he was and, and, and that, those kinds of things. Uh, and now Peter has convinced them that he was God's son, that he is God. And now they're worried about their souls, their salvation, their eternity, because they've just murdered God. And so how do they get that off of their account? How do they not be held responsible for that? This is what Peter says. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What did Peter say? Did he say, say a prayer? He didn't, did he? Did he say, uh, publicly acknowledge your faith? He didn't, did he? He says the way to absolve, the way for God to absolve you uh, of your sins is baptism. It's repentance and baptism. It's a turning away from your sins uh, in repentance. And then it's a submission to his will as you're baptized into his blood. Don't take my word for it. Take Peter's word for it. Again, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Peter's been talking about in, in this epistle... Uh, the context right here around this uh, little section in verse 21 it is, the, uh, is the ark. And he's talking about how judgment came the first time around. The first time God judged the world, he did so by flooding it with water and destroying everyone, right? And he says, but there was eight people who were saved. And so I, I went in on that now, 21st century. How do I get in on that salvation? This is what he says. First um, Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Baptism which now corresponds to this, now saves you. It's just like the ark. It's, the ark's what saved Noah and his family, right? He says baptism's just like that. It's what now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, it's not, it's not a bath, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says you want to avoid this judgment that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 12, the way to do that is submission. We have to submit. And what does that look like, right? We have to know what Scripture says, and then whether we think it makes sense to us or not. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with folks that said, well, why baptism? What's special about the water? Does it really matter? <laughs> I mean, you stop and think about it for a second. Does it really matter what I think? It matters what he said, right? If he said doing 10 jumping jacks is what saved you, what does it matter to me? I'm not, I'm not going to here to argue about it. I'm just here to submit, right? Because I want to avoid the condemnation that he gives in Mark chapter 12. The problem was they refused to submit. I'm afraid that some of our problems today is we refuse to submit. Maybe you've already been baptized this morning. 
And you're thinking, I'm good. I, I, I'm set, right? I'm on, I'm on heaven's road, right? Do you remember what Matthew 7, verse 21 says? Have you read that verse lately? Jesus says, there's going to be a whole lot of people in the day of judgment that say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. So there's an awful lot of people sitting in church pews around the world who think that they're okay and are not. Let that soak in for a second. They think that they're okay, but they're not. So how can I be sure? Have I read what he's asked me to do? Am I willing to submit to it? Am I ready to live a life that is productive? That's what he's asking. In fact, that's what he's demanding. Out of his children, if you want to come to him, you have to submit. And part of that submission is leading a productive life until you meet him in heaven. That's the deal. That's what he lays out. We're not just trying to avoid the condemnation, right? We're also trying to inherit the blessings. The good news is both of those things are possible, but it only happens through baptism. It only happens through submission. And so if you have that need this morning, why won't you come as we stand and sing? keep Friday Simpson's sister in her prayers. She's fairly serious at this time. Friday Simpson. Right to close this morning, we'll sing hymn number 626. 626, got another announcement? Okay. 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 <clears throat> okay.
a baby shower for Destiny Spears Kingery next Saturday at 11. Don't forget that. Here at the building, and they're having a baby boy. <clears throat> next Saturday, 11 o'clock. All right, 626. <clears throat> the Christians welcome home. First verse and last verse. How sweet will be the welcome home, welcome home with this sword like his Lord, with pain and sorrow Steve McLeod, release in prayer. Will you pray with me, please? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, dear Lord, we come before you as humbly as we know how. Dear Heavenly Father, so very thankful for the day you've given us. Dear Heavenly Father, the beautiful weather, the, the uh, opportunity to be here and, and worship you unaccosted, dear Heavenly Father, in peace and love. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for those that are here, our family that you've banded together through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us, dear Heavenly Father, that we always remember the importance of that family and that relationship that you've given us, dear Heavenly Father, and most important, we remember that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Dear Lord, we're so thankful for your love, dear Lord, that while we were yet sinners, you, you gave us a way that we couldn't, we couldn't make for ourselves. Dear Heavenly Father, we hope and pray that our worship service today was done in accordance to your will and pleasing in your sight, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with those that couldn't be here for whatever reason that may be. Dear Heavenly Father, if they're ill, then Lord, we ask that you touch them with that healing hand, dear Heavenly Father, and give them a, a portion of health again that, that allows them to be here with us again. Dear Heavenly Father, if they're traveling, we ask that you be with them and give them a safe journey. Dear Heavenly Father, if they're struggling spiritually, we ask that, that we can do and be what they need to be for us to be in order to bring them back to where they need to be here, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord, if there is that one lost sheep, we ask that you help us to identify that sheep and go, go search and find it and bring it back. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with us as we leave this place, as we go out into the world, dear Heavenly Father. May we always be brave enough to be that light that you expect us to be in that city on a hill. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you 
guide, guard, and direct us always. Forgive us of our sins so that one day we may have a home with you in heaven. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.